It's Wednesday, November 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me today from up north, it's Mr. Jim Gillies. Good to see you. Good to be seen, Chris. Uh, we got uh, some news items to get to, um, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna talk, of course, about Veterans Day. Um, uh, but but let's start with Lyft because shares of Lyft are up more than five percent this morning. Not because Lyft was profitable in the third quarter. It was decidedly not profitable, but Lyft's revenue was higher than expected. And Jim, they say they're working on a food delivery service, which seems like Yay. something that, that they probably should have been working on a while ago. I, I, I feel that today, I'm going to apologize in advance, at least on the business things, because I'm going to, or at least on the stock, specific stocks we're going to discuss, because I'm going to come off as rather negative. I think it's warranted. But I'm going to come off as rather negative. You said Lyft is not profitable yet. My internal monologue says, and never will be. Um, they're working on a food delivery um, solution. Great. No competition there. No one else is doing it. Um, and look, in a, in a, in a post-pandemic world, which I have to hope we're going to get to at some point, uh, we've just done. Uh, we've just listened to about half an hour on on the vaccine and coronavirus. I mean, we are hopefully in the uh, the beginning of the end of the of the lockdowns and what have you. Um, are we still going to be ordering as much food and having it delivered? I'm not a fan of food delivery anyway. It's you know more expensive for you know less tasty food. But I think we'll be going out a little bit more. And so at some point, Lyft and their cousin Uber are going to be valued as regular businesses again. Uh, the unicorns, uh, if you will, uh, as uh, w what is this business kind of supplanting the taxi industry? And the problem of why I dog on Lyft and Uber, more on Uber than on Lyft, but I'll, I'll uh, save some shade for Lyft, is that these businesses have a now fairly long and demonstrated history of being unable to be either A, profitable, or B, cash flow positive. And I have opined in many places, many times, that companies that cannot self-finance, that cannot be cash flow positive, free cash flow positive, eventually hit a wall and when, when the, the capital markets simply refuse to maintain this, I would say charade, but maybe that's uh, too harsh, just refuse to maintain that the, 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 the cash burning ways of these businesses. At some, and we're going to get a real fine example of that in about five minutes. Um, but there, there is just this idea that the money eventually comes to a stop, the music eventually stops, and then what? Uh, you know, you've just recreated the taxi industry, except you're profoundly unprofitable. And until until that changes, until either Lyft or Uber demonstrates this ability to at least see a direction to get to cash flow positivity, cash flow break even, what have you, um, I think you're just going to see a, a, a continued cycle of burn cash, raise more money, burn cash, raise more money. And, and this quarter, you know, look, year to date, the first three quarters of, of 2020, Lyft has burned nearly $1.2 billion in cash. Now, the most recent quarter was good. They only incinerated $170 million. Um, you know, and and they're, if you read the press release for, for the earnings today, they're very much pointing you in. Uh, the story they want to tell, the narrative they're trying to frame is, look how much better Q3 was than Q2. 
look at our growth from the previous quarter. Okay, great. That, that, that's a step in the right direction. But it's a step again into a more normal world where these companies, if viewed in a normal world, are just inherently structurally unprofitable and money losers. And that eventually stops. We've talked about businesses across all ranges of industries uh, over the past six months that, putting aside the business, if you look at just the stock, there is a point at which you say, well, that's that stock has sold off to the point where that's just ridiculous. We've seen all kinds of businesses that have doubled and tripled since their lows, since the, you know, whether it's late March, early April, whenever it was. Lyft is one of those businesses. There's a point at which in 2020, if you bought shares of Lyft, you're thrilled with how it's performing today. You don't even have to go back that far. A week ago today, Ron Gross and I talked about how Uber and Lyft a week ago were each up 10%, 15% because California voters passed mm. Prop 22, which basically um, you know, if it hadn't passed, it, it it might have been the death knell for those two businesses, and instead, uh, they got uh, another life out of it. But uh, to, you know, to your point, it's it's hard to see Lyft and Uber right now, as they currently stand right now, as businesses that we as foolish investors like to see. It's it's tough to look at them and say yes, this this is a stock I want to own for the next ten years because I think ten years from now it's going to be exponentially larger. It it I mean it really seems much more in the category of the stocks that we don't like to own, which is boy, if you time this right, and you you know hold it for three months, you're going to get a, sure you'll pay the you'll pay the higher capital gains tax. But yeah, if you if you time this right, this could be a good stock to own for three months. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you talk about a 10-year uh, uh, look forward for Lyft and Uber, or Lyft, I suppose. Um, look, Lyft, how, how much more cash are they going to burn in the next 10 years? How many more shares will be outstanding as they have to finance themselves over the next 10 years? Uh, and 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 I feel like I'm almost a prequel for our for our next topic, because you know as a company hoses out more shares, that becomes a much larger base. That if they ever do get to profitability, if they ever do get to cash flow positivity, you now spread it out over an infinitely large, well not infinitely, but a much much larger base. Uh, and and so if you ever do get to the promised land. Um, You've, you've essentially diluted the, the, the early believers. So this is uh, our, our friend, Emily Flippin, uh, who does the Industry Focus podcast. She has an analogy uh, with stocks of uh, you date, you don't marry. Um, and and this, is, this is very much uh, Lyft. If you want to play the Lyft game uh, or, or the Uber game, this is a, this is a you, you date this stock, you, you don't marry it. So. Speaking of dilution, uh, Aurora Cannabis <laughs> announced that it plans to raise $125 million through a secondary offering. Shares of Aurora Cannabis down 20% today. Whew, holy cow. I mean, and, and this is another one. This is, this is a. Uh, oh, this is another one. Well, no, I was going to say just in terms of uh, businesses that people were more bullish on a week ago today, because a week ago today, we could look at California voters passing Prop 22. We could also look at voters in five different states 
um, giving the green light to some version of cannabis legalization um, and and any luster for Aurora Cannabis and those businesses um, lost when they when they come out with news like this. Can I go off on this company now? Oh, absolutely. Cool. I have no idea why anyone wants to own this company at all. I don't think you should. I think uh, if you're hoping to get back to uh, some price, a higher price you assuredly paid, uh, you should probably forget that. Uh, I, you know, Chris, I am not a big fan of the marijuana companies anyway. Uh, I, you know, there's a reason they call it weed. Uh, you know, it's not hard to grow. Um, and uh, looking back, so I, you know, I, I live, of course, in the in the completely cannabis legal, uh, you know, uh, utopia that is uh, Canada. And so, if you had bought, Chris, is there anything more bullish than this Canadian company, Aurora Cannabis, is a Canadian company? Anything more bullish than legalization countrywide, which came into force on October seventeenth, twenty eighteen? So barely two years ago. And if you were a buyer on that day, Chris, you have lost 95% of your money. It is legal across the country, and you are down 95% since that day. This is like Lyft, like Uber, but perhaps even more uh, an aficionado of the sport. These guys burn cash for fun. Uh, in they, they have a June fiscal year. In fiscal 2017, they burned $39 million. In fiscal 18, they decided to go up the ante. They went to $219 million burned. In 2019, fiscal 2019, they burned $606 million. In fiscal 2020, they burned $693 million. They are off to a rousing start in fiscal 2021 with one quarter reported. They burned $124 million. Over this period of time, they have financed themselves increasingly through share issues, and we're not counting the the, the latest thing, that, which is responsible for for today's 20% drop. They have gone from 30 million, 30.5 million shares at the end of fiscal 2017 to the most recent quarter. They now have 133.4 million shares before what they're about to issue on the market. This is not going to stop. They're going to continue burning money to grow. I don't understand why people want to play in this space. Because someone's going to win, right? I mean, uh, put aside Aurora Cannabis. Let's just, How do let's you define just, win? Uh, I define win as uh, 10 years from now, uh, marijuana will still be legal in Canada. There's yep. a chance... Um, I mean, right now we've got in the United States, 36 states. There are, I think, in the next two years, 14 four, to go, f 14 to go. And in the next two years, um, it's on the ballot in uh, little states like New York and Florida and Ohio. Um, so someone is going to be supplying. So like, like and I sure, share this as a someone lot of who someone's is, are going to be supplying. What's that? A lot of someone's are going to be supplying. That's the point. This is a commodity. So and, you're saying, and, and. so your belief is that, um, just to compare, let's just compare this to pizza, because it's the only analogy I can think of at the moment, <laughs> that if you look at pizza in the United States by market share, the biggest uh, market share is held by independent pizza shops, just local shops. And then yeah. 
you've got Domino's and Papa John's mm-hmm. and Pizza Hut and, and sort of the, the, the chains like that. Um, is it your belief that there's not going to be a single viable public company that is supplying cannabis on a national level, that it's just going to be all mom and pop pizza shops? Pretty much, yes. And it's exceedingly easy to produce your own. Uh, Again, I live in a country where it is completely legal. Uh, I I may have one or two acquaintances who enjoy imbibing said legal substance, uh, and they did so before it was made completely legal. And I can tell you the only difference in their consumption pattern has been they grow their plants outside instead of inside now. I mean, it, it is it is something that is, I understand everyone wants to be at the forefront of what they think is going to be the next big thing. Um, but the dynamics of these businesses that are trying to capture the space, Aurora Cannabis, uh, I'm blanking on the other big name that I could uh, throw Canopy out. Canopy Growth? Uh, Tilray. Uh, Tilray. Tilray. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these, these companies, the, the problem is these, these businesses incinerate capital. And there seems to be no end to that incineration. And the larger they get, because their market has expanded. Canada is legal. 36 states are now legal. You say New York and Florida are probably coming. I think you're probably correct. And I just think they're just going to end up burning more money. So I would not go anywhere near this entire space, but I'm a but I'm a bear on the name. So uh, before we uh, get to Veterans Day, um, you and I were chatting this morning, um, and you made reference to something that 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 caught my attention immediately. Um, you um, you said something to the effect of, "Do you want to hear about my favorite uh, co- my favorite company in Nebraska that's not named Berkshire Hathaway?" And all due respect to Nebraska, my first thought was like, "Wait, there are other public companies?" And of course, I know there are. Based there, um, um, wh- what other than Berkshire Hathaway? What's the Nebraska company that you love? Well, okay, so this is this is this is my opportunity to not be such a negative, you know, person because I'm not a negative person. I love lots of companies. You just Picked me a couple to start today that uh, I don't love. Um, have you ever heard of Nelnet? I have never heard of Nelnet. Perfect. Nelnet, uh, ticker NNI uh, on the uh, New York Stock Exchange, is out of the thriving hub of Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, I had never heard of Nelnet before I stumbled upon them four or five months ago. Um, and when I recommended Nelnet, spoiler, in uh, one of our Canadian services, I heard from uh, multiple of our foolish colleagues who said, oh, Nelnet, I hate those guys. They held my student, they held my or they held my partner's uh, student loan debt and I had to send them a check every month. So um, I'm like, oh, um, yay, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but Nelnet is this really interesting, strangely constructed business out of Lincoln, Nebraska, that has a multiple, that's all these little kind of hidden businesses underneath a giant, this is about a, I'm going to say it's about a two and a half billion dollar company. It might be a little bit higher than that now, but it's about a two and a half billion dollar company that if you go look at their balance sheet, they have nearly 20 billion in debt. So you're going to go, you're going to scream, throw your hands over your ears, and run away, right? I mean, this just sounds like, oh my goodness, ten to one, ten to one leverage. Um, that's that's a mirage. 
what that debt is, it's, it's a giant portfolio of student loans that are no longer, it's the type of loans that are no longer issued, but they are on the balance sheet. Okay. So student loans, uh, these loans are actually federally guaranteed somewhere between 97 and a hundred percent is guaranteed. So even if all of these student loans were to default on mass, what ends up happening is the government just writes a, writes a check to Nelnet to cover it because they're on the hook for, for these loans. Same deal. If, if you get some sort of student loan forgiveness, it impacts this portfolio. Uh, what that means is Nelnet's not out. It's just the government will, will have to cover this, this obligation. Um, so, but those, th those loans are throwing off a ton of cash flow. Okay. Um, because they're, they're, they're going to, they average life's about 10 years on those loans and those loans are going to roll off over 20 years. But uh, most of that cash is coming up front because of a particular wrinkle in how these loans are financed. Basically, if you're a student borrower, Chris, your loan is probably at a fixed rate. Okay. Say 5%. Um, but these things are uh, securitized and cho chopped up by Nelnet, and so they are largely paying a floating rate so on, to, to finance these loans. So as the world has seen interest rates drop, what that means is the spread, the amount of cash that's coming to Nelnet, because they earn basically a spread between what you're paying as a borrower and what they have to pay as, as the financier, that spread has gotten wider. And so what's coming to Nelnet in terms of the amount of cash, uh, this is about a $70 stock today, I think. Um, they've got about $42, by my estimate, they've got about $42 in cash per share coming to them in about the next five years, assuming that low interest rates persist. And we've already heard from the, from the U.S. Fed that you should probably expect interest rates to stay low near zero, probably through 2023 which will give Nelnet enough time to bring a lot of this cash in. And so what are they doing with that cash? Because it's all kinds of cash flow brought in. They got a bunch of these little businesses. So they, they are a, um, they're a SaaS company, software as a service company, who provides you know, uh, payment processing, so like tuition payment plans, products and what have you, to a lot of uh, K to 12 private schools, as well as uh, they, they got about 11,500 11, K to 12 private schools. They have about 1,300 higher education institutions. Those are very sticky clients. You put in a payment processing or a tuition processing software, you're not ripping it out in six months because a competitor gave you a 5% discount. Uh, they have a fiber to the premises arm called Nelnet Communications, which they've just uh, sold about half to a private equity group. So that is, they've, they've invested, now the cash flow is exploding there. Uh, they do do a lot of servicing of student loans. Uh, though that might, This is independent of that giant pile of student loans I already mentioned. This is just servicing for other types of loans. Um, that business is good, but it's probably um, going to be a lot smaller in the future because they've lost a couple of federal contracts. Uh, but it's still, you know, they're still, even if they those contracts are gone, they're still servicing about $50 billion worth of uh, federal private education consumer loans for about 2 million borrowers. Um, they've got a bunch of little venture capital bets, one of which is called Huddle. Uh, and Huddle is uh, a sports performance analysis software. So, so think uh, video analysis, scouting software for professional or minor league teams. Uh, they claim they've got more than 6 million coaches and athletes in 139 countries, uh, 160,000 teams across 35 sports. Uh, Nelnet owns about 20% of that. Okay, So it's a 
really and, oh and also insiders there's a couple of co-founders who founded this business uh the insiders the one co-founder uh and the estate of the other co-founder who unfortunately died a couple of years ago at a relatively young age um they control about i think it's about 44 45 percent of the shares uh and they have about 80 plus percent of the voting stock uh, so the, this is a very foolish founder management and it's a company that a lot of people haven't heard of and like i said at the beginning of this little uh, treatise if they have heard of it, their first reaction seems to have been, oh, Nelnet, I hate those guys. <laughs> so, you know, so uh, that's my favorite non-Berkshire Nebraska company. As I mentioned, it's uh, Veterans Day here in the U.S., uh, Remembrance Day where you are. Uh, just uh, want to take a second and say thank you to all the veterans out there. Um uh, including some of our colleagues here at The Motley Fool, uh, Tim Sparks, Ben Ra, Nick Crow, Jeff Lovett, Nate Wallingsford, Michael Robinson, John Novak. Uh, to them and uh, to all the veterans uh, listening to us around the world, thank you so much. Um, we were also chatting this morning about, uh, in Flanders Field, the uh, famous poem, and you have a connection? You have a connection to this I do. poem? I, I do. Um, yes. Uh, in Flanders Field, uh, it is not hyperbole, Chris, to say that it will probably be read. It is the, I, I'm not sure how uh, pertinent it is for Veterans Day in the U.S., but here in Canada, it is hell, it, it's written by a Canadian, and it is, without hyperbole, it will be read practically at every Cenotaph Memorial today. It will be read, I'm sure, at every student assembly to commemorate Remembrance Day. Um, when I used to work in, in pri I mentioned in our chat earlier, uh, I used to work at various uh, private industry jobs in my engineering career. Uh, one was a manufacturing facility where at 11 a.m. on the 11th day of the 11th month, uh, the machines would, to the extent possible, go silent. And over the intercom, they would read In Flanders Fields uh, and for the moment of silence. And uh, In Flanders Fields was written by Lieutenant Colonel uh, John McRae. Uh, who is uh, who is a Guelph uh, was born in here in Guelph, Ontario, where I live, and the McRae House is about two miles that way from me. Um, I have on in prior years I have uh, skipped out to attend the the ceremony uh, this morning because of uh, some foolish duties I was unable to. Uh, but uh, it is uh, it is a, a good a good place to go to take in the remembrance. And if uh, if those anyone who's unfamiliar with the poem in Flanders Fields, um, I encourage you to, to look it up, read it, and uh, it is and and just to contemplate what some of those who went before us um, and won our freedoms um, might have had to have gone through. So um, I just say thank you. We will end there. Jim Gillies, thanks for being here. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.